and welcome to this week's Standing with Refugees podcast and thank you for joining us. I'm Paul Hutchings, one of the founders of Refugee Support Europe and this week I am talking to Ingrid Van Plowman who is hosting refugees in her home and is also very active in the Epsom Refugee Network. Hello Ingrid. Oh, hello Paul. Uh, and not only is, are you doing that at the moment, I have to say that you were um, tremendously supportive to us uh, a couple of years ago when we first got started because I think you knew us from Calais is that right? Yes that's right yeah I went um, to Care for Calais a couple of times and um, I, collect, I did collections uh, in my local town and um, rented a van and went over mm. sort of on a monthly basis to um, drop off blankets and shoes and feeling that I was doing something better than mm. and, um, and that was a really great experience because that that's the time that I went in the camp and I could meet refugees and talk to them and that made the whole problem so more, far more realistic to me and think actually there's more that we should do. Mm. Um, so that was, yeah, that was the beginning of it all. Um, yeah, I was um, then in, in contact with some of the refugees and, um, and then I realized actually when they come to England and they get asylum, that's a new journey for them, and they need they need a lot of help with like getting a job and um, creating um, um, a bank account and find a place to live. And then I thought maybe I could do something here. And then um, some of the refugees I met in the jungle who came over here, they started living with me mm. and family and my children. And um, and that was just a fantastic experience. The first two who came here. Um, they were just like brothers to my children, and um, I was like a surrogate mum, I guess. Um, and then, um, yeah, from there, it was just like a snowball effect. And, um, the Epstein Refugee Network was set up, and we, we created this sort of hub, the zigzag cafe, where other hosts and their um, and their guests could come together and help each other, support each other. And we had set up a befriending scheme and some professional mentoring. And it's wonderful because then you see how the refugees then um, finally find their feet and they're back on track and they can go to university or they can start working um, or go back to school. And you see people flourish, really. People were completely lost and bewildered coming to the UK and then finally making a life. And that's, that's, for me, I love this. I love this work of giving people a push and then they slide a nest. <laughs> yeah, lovely. So the people got in touch with you and said, can you put me up? How did that first start when you started hosting refugees? Yeah, um, there was one one boy, an 18-year-old boy from Syria. He, um, he got asylum in um, April in 2016. And then he contacting me saying, where should I live? Because I have to leave my um, accommodation that was given to me by the government. And this is, I have no idea where to go. And that, that's how it started. And I thought, okay, um, what should I do? And I had heard of refugees at home. And they said, well, either you can fill in this form and then uh, we'll check your house, check if your house is all right and um, if it's suitable. And they um, said, well, you can collect him from Victoria Station. And <laughs> that was it. Yeah, so living me and um, and then you just you you begin to understand how the whole process works in your head, um, what the, what people really need, and you know you have to set them up with English lessons, with um, 
um, sort of teaching them how how would how the whole English system works, how to how to get a driving license, um, what kind of jobs to look for, and things like that. So, mm. Yeah, it's more than just giving them a bedroom. Yeah, and I think the, the government should they they expect people just to do everything within a month. Within a month, suddenly they need to find a job and get an account and and find a room to rent. But that's not so easy. It's not so easy. Mm. Um, and um, they just, I don't know, I think that they are so willing, so willing to make a life for themselves. And they really, they they try so hard as well. Like, um, and I I want to encourage them. I think that that's lacking. The government doesn't understand that um, if they would give people a chance during the whole asylum seeking process that they really could learn to speak English properly, that they get some guidance on how to find a job and then it, then we would benefit from that as well as a country. Um, and um, I don't know, it's just a real shame that all this talent is wasted with people working in cafes and pubs and restaurants and, or cleaners to, and they have so much more to offer. Um, so we have, at the moment I have um, so I won't say strange, but Abdul is um, going to university next year. He's doing a foundation level now. He's like, 21. And I've got Mahamri, he's doing travel and tourism in Hammersmith College. And, travel and tourism? Yeah, travel and tourism. <laughs> <laughs> Which is quite funny, actually. He's got some experience to draw on there, but I guess how not to do it. Yeah, but he's very good with languages and every country is needs something good. Um but he would be fantastic in hospitality as well actually. And then um we have one boy um from Iran and he um he was an engineer and he's now training to be a primary school teacher. Like mm. so he's doing teacher training at the moment, he's loving it. Um and when I have one guy, he's did a coding programme. And he's now um, setting up websites and um, he's got a really good job in the city. Um, and then we have Dered, who's uh, also, he's a telecom engineer and he works in Shoreditch. And his wife is an opera singer and they have, they just uh, rent a flat and they have, they have a really good life together. And um, one guy, Walid, he's got um, a scholarship. He's, he's um, studying English at the moment in Wimbledon. Um, and it's like it's like it's like all these success stories. It's just really, really special, really special. And um, one doctor from Syria, who's now I've put in touch with Refugee Council, and he's um, going through the break the breaking barriers program. And I found another doctor who's going to give him work experience. Um, and then we have one boy, is uh, a law student also from Syria, and. Um, He's now working on his English and he's working in the local garden center next to my house. And he wants to go to university, back to university. So, yeah. So it's really, it's all work in progress. Oh, yeah. Such fantastic stories about people, you know, rebuilding their lives and getting ahead. And it's, it absolutely speaks to my experience of dealing with people. It seems completely contrary to the mainstream um, current of thinking that you see in, well, I don't want to say the papers, but I mean mostly in the papers, in the media that, you know, they come here, uh, they, you know, they don't want to work. It's just not the case, is it? No, it's the opposite. Mm. It's the opposite. They, they're raving to work. I mean, they can't wait to work. 
they hate doing nothing. They hate it. I, I know it. And, like, and if I ask them, can you do a job in my house, like helping with something? Oh, they all stand up and <laughs> jump to the help. They're going to do it. Like, um, they were, they're so, so keen, so keen. Mm. And, um, and the, what I also see is that um, sometimes because they have been in this survival mode all the time, so when they come somewhere where they feel loved and they feel accepted, everything there's, uh, they they actually need a bit of a holiday of all this worrying about everything. So you, sometimes you see that for a couple of weeks or a few months or something, they they actually can't do very much. They just need to relax and just think about what they want to do with their lives. And it's fine. <laughs> they they should be allowed to have that time to sort of like really come to their senses really and um what do i really want to do with my life instead of worrying every day what i'm going to eat where i'm going to sleep or things like that um and um, i have so so much admiration for all these people I, they're heroes each, each of them i have a story i mean that beats every james bond story i think <laughs> so, um they are all or matt damon <laughs> hero or i don't know i my my son as well says like gosh mommy I don't know how I would react in a situation like that how they managed to to battle through all this I mean they should get all the help they need really as soon as they arrive here mm. um, but it's a completely opposite way of thinking of what you read in the Daily Mail but, um, and the interesting thing is that well, people have said to me that I have to be careful you know they said why would you take strangers into your home and yeah. how how can you trust these people and um, so then I said, I did, maybe it's my sixth sense that I feel comfortable with these people. I don't know. But uh, my mother and my brother and sister-in-law, they all came over for Christmas. And as a surprise, I thought, I'm going to invite um, my previous guests to come over here for like a Christmas party. So they came on Christmas Eve and um, we, they made music and they sang songs. And my mother was like, Oh Ingrid, I just had no idea. Mm. They're really, they're, they're wonderful people, and, and I really like after one and I, And she was like, and I said, what well, did you not realise? Oh, it is. I was always so worried about you hosting refugees. And my sister-in-law was in tears when she heard some of the stories how how they got here. Mm. I said, but did you read that in the papers? But I think meeting someone face to somebody telling you the story means so much more it's it, it then it suddenly hits you doesn't it when you actually meet a human being like like you and me it, it makes so and that's i think that's the other thing is that people just don't know they haven't made the effort or they have never had a chance to meet someone from syria or south sudan or Ethiopia. i think it it's really changing your mindset as mm. soon as you meet people and get to know people it's, then you you think oh i got it now it's, mm. yeah um Sounds very rewarding, and I mean, you get you. I mean, you yourself have got a lot out of it, as well as uh, helping those people. But it can't be all positive. Is there, you know, is there a downside to it as well? Yeah, it, it, it's emotionally draining sometimes. Mm. Some that you sometimes I just feel like I need I need to I need to have my own space. I'm sometimes I I just go for a drive. I just go in my car. I take the dogs out, and then I just need to be away from everything and. Um, or just allow myself a little holiday or something like that because um, you you can't be full on twenty four seven. It's um you need time to recharge your batteries. 
and 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 you mustn't forget that you have your own life and your children have, are entitled to see you as well and so it's um because it, yeah so my youngest son he, he's very tolerant but sometimes he still say to me well you know i'm important too <laughs> and i said oh sorry because i've been so busy sort of listening to the others mm. um when he has an important exam or something i need to focus on him more sometimes i he's doing gcse's and I think I really I mustn't go out in the evenings. I must make nice meals for him too. <laughs> but we have this really really lovely network, the Epsom Refugee Network. So we meet up. Like today, we're going to meet up at five o'clock in the Zigzag Cafe, and it's a wonderful time that we sort of have a social time and we have fun together and um, yeah, get to know. And we also talk about each other about our problems, so you help each other and support each other with that. Um, because it also is like you have certain house rules, of course, and um, sometimes people overstep the line. So it is, that is difficult. From how to tell people they can't turn on the washing machine just for two T-shirts or something, or like, <laughs> or um, or they need to be more careful with how they spend their money. For example, like buying water bottles is just not clever if you don't have much money. But it's so difficult sometimes to, or. Um, it, it sometimes they can be quite blunt about people from other countries or something, and then we say, well, you, it's not like you can't say that all Pakistanis are like that, and then you have this a bit of an argument, like, oh, but I've met so many really, and it's no, no, you can't generalize, you can't generalize. It's the same people, and then it's a bit, um, so telling them a bit what is political correctness or something, or um, so there's sometimes there are tricky moments as well. It's not always wonderful. Um, yeah, and but it's lovely though. I I do feel they are like my children. Um, mm. Sometimes like how to how to find a girlfriend. You know, they ask you questions like that. It's quite sweet. You know, sort of. I feel. Like, <laughs> um, and then tell them like how it works in this country. Really, it's very different from Sydney. One boy said, "I don't understand. She doesn't want to marry me, and she's broken up with me." I said, "What? What do you do?" I said, "I proposed to her." I said. Not an English girl will not say yes after two months. It then won't. <laughs> but the good thing is that I feel like that talking to other people, maybe I can change other people's minds about refugees as well. Those people that they actually, there's so much we can do, and they're so valuable, and they are they teach us so much, really. Um, um people who are, I think, oh, you do, we can't let too many people in. I say, you know what, these people what they can do for you and what they how much they can you know um they have so much potential and they're not here to to use our services and to use benefits and things like that it's not like that at all um, have you had to deal with much of that because you mentioned there that your family had some concerns about you know you taking in uh, people into your own home and um but have you had i don't know neighbors other family friends be not hostile but kind of overly worried i have lost some friends but it, i think myself really if it's that important to you like um they're not real friends mm. and i think that um by doing this sort of work it, you meet so many interesting people who who have that same sort of um, fighting spirit like let's do something let's do it i mean those people they become they become your best friends so i feel i've gained more friends than lost to be honest, really. 
And then um, one of the things that it seems to me is that it's very difficult for refugees that, or any asylum seeker who has arrived in this country to find accommodation. So what you're providing is really a really important part. And it would be great if the government could do more about that. But, I mean, is there something that the government, the British government, is doing well when it comes to asylum seekers or refugees? Um, yeah, I think they made, they made some changes, actually. They, um, they they give the national insurance number straight away with the um, their, their ID card. So that's really important because you need your national to in order to go to a job centre and find the job. You need that. And that in the past, that t- took sometimes two to three weeks. And then, so some people were then really homeless. They couldn't do anything. Um, so as soon as you've got the national insurance number, then you can just sort of apply for it. And then the only thing is that um, sometimes they're quite late with the payments. I think the government is trying to speed up the payments now, the weekly payments. Um, but uh, so many things. I think, for example, um, banks are still very reluctant really to give a bank accounts. That takes too long. It takes too long. It's really annoying. Um, what the government is doing well, I don't know. Is it they raised the the weekly um, allowance for asylum seekers by one pound a week or something? And you go like, well, what difference is that going to make? You know, I, it's it's so little what they get anyway. And I don't know. I just feel like they need to have so much more. Really, you can't just give people twenty five pounds a week and 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 a roof over their head is not enough. Really, they need much more. They need more support. They need English lessons. Um, I sometimes wish actually I could really go to speak to one of the MPs. But my MP is Chris Grayling, and it's like oh, just, God. Um, a chocolate teapot. Really. <laughs> so it's a bit, yeah. Hard to find somebody who really are willing to listen and do something with your information you give them. The other thing I don't understand is that, for example, like Syrians, they get asylum quite quickly, and then here are people from Afghanistan who have been working for the British Army, mm. who's you know they they know they're going to be killed by by the Taliban when they go back. Like why that takes so long? I don't understand the difference. Why that makes it just beyond me until we let people wait and wait and say promise and oh we're going to make a decision in February and then they're still six months later online they still haven't heard anything. It's like leaving people hanging out there to dry. It's just not. It's so inhumane. It's mm. so inhumane. The stress it causes and everything. I think it's so hugely unfair. <clears throat> so and deporting people back who. Who have some have such a good reason to be here as well. Mm. So, um, it's beyond me. Yeah, the government could do a lot more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I guess the other thing we hear a lot is that uh, the country's full and it's going to put too much of a strain on our public services. I don't agree with that. Mm. I don't. I think we need we need people. We need people all the time. That, um, wherever you go, I, especially in London, wherever I go, there's always people always advertising for jobs and there, there are people from abroad working everywhere and I go where are these English people and I have my own business I run um, um, a pizzeria in Crouch End we never ever have a British person applying for a job we always have people from abroad and from the EU and I it's really strange actually because 
we would quite like to have maybe an English girl working for us, but they just don't apply. <laughs> and we're out there in Gumtree. It's not that we we don't we don't say we don't want any English people. Like no, and so I don't understand. I I don't think it's not an argument at all. Um, and a lot of people are leaving as well. Like it's, if you look at the immigration figures, like lots of people are leaving. So it's not that um, I don't know. Um, if you see also like the people who come here, if you see what sort of education they've had, you think, wow, you know, they could, like this engineer, he's now a math teacher. We're screaming out for math teachers, doctors, you know, a lot of doctors are leaving a lot of nurses and they, they're very willing to work in the NHS. So, yeah. What would you, what would you say to someone who, um, I guess they need to have a spare room in their house, but what would you say to someone who is thinking about or would like to host a refugee in their home? Um, I would contact um, Refugees at Home, uh -huh. the organisation, and um, see if you could visit the local hub near you and then speak to other hosts um, in your area and talk about their experiences and um, maybe meet some refugees as well so you get a bit of a feeling of what, what it's like for them. And you can, what you can do, you can say, I want to be an emergency host. So you only have people for one week or two weeks who are just uh, in, they're waiting for another room to become available. So then you, you don't you don't have somebody for months on end. Um, and then see how you feel about that. Um, and you can also befriend a refugee. You can just join a scheme. So you just do conversation lessons or you, I don't know, you play football together or something like that. Um, and then you also, that's also incredibly helpful, or you help people with job applications or um, applying for universities, um, things like that, then you really contribute to their to integration to our society. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lovely, we did a tour around the country in October. Um, I think um, we didn't make it to Epsom, unfortunately, but we went around the country to um, different places and, uh, there were lots of community groups all doing yeah. this kind of thing and it was really great that there's there's grassroots organizations doing what they can to support refugees in their local communities yes i know we had a, a whole day like it's called action for refugees uh day and people could come in and have syrian cooking lessons and um we had interviews with refugees so people could actually see refugees on stage we had music, dub, we had dubka dancing, so people could join in with the dancing. Um, because wherever you get a group of Syrians together and you play some music, they'll start, they'll dance. You know, like, it's wonderful, really wonderful. And we had like 135 people came that day. And um, and it actually inspired other people to do more, including my own boyfriend, who said, actually, I think I should house a refugee. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And I don't know, I find it, it gives me so much hope actually seeing um, how many people really want to help. Is um, They come from all different walks of life. It's just like, whether very professional or, or housewives or um, students. Um, and it's really interesting to see how people think, oh, I can do something. And then they, often, here they are just sorting clothes for containers in Syria or something or... Um, and churches as well, lots of churches and sort of community groups, um, Quakers, I, they they do a lot actually. I, I'm full of admiration for them, how they get together. 
um, they do the shoe box appeal in our, in the local church here as well, and um, it's, I find it really yeah hopeful that there are lots of good people out there. I think that's a really important message because um, we frequently um, have people come to work with us who who are frustrated or upset about the situation, but um, uh, action and doing something and being with others who are also doing something um, uh, has really shifted their thinking to one that's a lot more positive. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Getting together and, and working together is a it is it, it's it's healthy it helps your mind if you're one of those people that is very concerned about the world yeah i think for some reason it's been very it's been really tiring doing this work as well but mm. um on the other hand i think they're the best years of my life i i really i if i if anyone had told me 10 years ago so this is what you're going to do i would not have believed me and like me i was busy with the parents teacher association <laughs> going to hockey matches and football matches and i was like i was not really i i don't know i i i would listen to the news but it really it was it went a bit over my head otherwise not much i can do but now it's just a different it's, i just feel like a different person that is a lovely note to end on it Ingrid thank you you are definitely one of the world's angels it's been a real privilege to know you and to talk to you today thank you for standing with refugees and thank you to everyone for listening we talk to someone every week and make it available to download on Monday you can subscribe on Podbean and iTunes download find it on our website please tell us what you think you can email me paul at refugeesupport.eu also on Facebook Refugee Support Europe Twitter Instagram and if you have any suggestions about who else we can talk to, please let us know. Thank you, Ingrid. Thank you, Paul. Nice. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>